Riddle me this, riddle me that, <laughs> guess me this riddle, or perhaps not. Okay, send the boy to call the doctor. Yet, the doctor comes before the boy. What is that? <laughs> <laughs> what is that? It's a crazy way of asking it. Um, that's a that's a problem. <laughs> No. Okay. <laughs> um. No. No. Uh, more. More uh, guesses. Uh, uh, <laughs> I wasn't expecting a riddle. Uh, Send the boy to call the doctor. Yet <laughs> the doctor comes before the boy. What is that? Um, the coconut. <laughs> what the coconut? <laughs> what? <laughs> You're gonna have to explain that one, bro. Riddle me this, riddle me that. <laughs> the beings I love are creatures. They were born by chance. My meeting with them was also by chance. They will die. What they think, do, and say is limited. It is a mixture of good and evil. I have to know this for myself. live yeah i have the pop filter today it's nice yeah it's gonna that's what i'm saying they're gonna be like those pops nick's the pops i've come to know and love from nick <laughs> i do be popping with my voice yeah. i i've talked about this before i feel self-conscious because i have the i have a clumsy clumsy uh germanic polish wisconsinian addiction yeah sometimes people say i met someone in new york this summer that said are you irish i said and what are i speaking in a brogue and they're like i think so yeah i said i'm nope <laughs> sorry that's interesting just just a self-conscious midwesterner <laughs> Uh, I really don't. I, I, I don't. Sound I was Irish. like, I was just made fun of for having like a Midwestern <clears throat> accent, and also I would pronounce. Yeah. I would pronounce certain words just like straight up incorrectly. Like an ex would make fun of me. She had a Californian accent. Oh, those are the worst. Yeah. That's like, the California accent is actually really neutral. Mm-hmm. It's so like, they think that they're number one. Yeah. They think that everything else is wrong. Yeah. Um. Uh, my cousins from Detroit used to roast me. Interesting. Because uh, I said, don't, don't, <laughs> don't. Would say, say it again, say it again. I would say, <laughs> I'd just be like, I would try to say it normally. I'd be like, don't. They'd be like, don't. <laughs> He's an idiot. It's not He's as bad. He's a country as buffoon. I used to say, daper. Daper? Like diaper? Yeah. 
Oh, that's like straight up like it's wrong. Wash room. I've like I've I've it, it's like you flipped the A and the I. Or wash your hands in the sink <laughs> with the diaper. Put the diaper on the baby. <laughs> wash your hands in the sink. In the zinc. In the zinc. Um. <laughs> so today we're doing a little bit of um anchorette story time yeah it's it's, it's snowy <laughs> october morning yeah we woke up and it had fully snowed for some reason found ourselves <laughs> in a winter wonderland everything you hear about the midwest is wrong except for this for some reason yeah <laughs> i uh <clears throat> i came upon uh i was at i was at the bookstore we got one of the best used bookstores in the country shout out book house book house thank you town uh if you're ever in Minneapolis, you should stop by because it's a really great place. Um, but I got a book called a, a Pleasant Vintage of Till Eulenspiegel, who I guess is a German folk hero. Had never heard of him before. Yeah, he's a he's a famous buffoon. This is a this is a translated from a 1515 edition. It's got nice woodcuts, um, and it's just nice little tales of of Eulenspiegel's buffoonery. <laughs> Um, I think the first one is about how he gets baptized in three times in one day. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, it's, it's his entire life. Um, but yeah, I'm just going to, I'm just going to read the 58th tale. So he got baptized three times and Simone Vey never once got baptized. <laughs> he, he did it for her. That's how this so world she goes. didn't need to. Yeah. Um, yeah, this tale is how Eulen Spiegel had a giant purse made at Helmstadt. <laughs> the the woodcut is i mean it's it's him with like a a purse that could fit like three people in it (laughs) you just had to secure the bag um hopefully this one is a good one uh yulin spiegel arranged still another jest with a purse for a purse maker was living at helmstadt for whom yulin spiegel went asking him whether he would like to make him a large pretty purse the purse maker said, yes, how big should it be? Eulenspiegel said that he should make it large enough, for these were times in which one carried large purses that were wide and broad. <laughs> the purse maker made Eulenspiegel a large it's purse. It's like, kind of like our times. So true. These, these, mess, these messenger totes flying around. When he came for it and saw the purse, he said, this purse isn't large enough. It's a mere purselet. If you'll make me one that's large enough, I'll pay you well. Hmm. The purse maker made him a purse out of an entire cowhide, making it so large that one might easily have put a yearling calf into it, a purse that had to be hauled. When Eulenspiegel came for it this time, he was not pleased with the purse and said the purse was not large enough. If he wanted to make him a purse, he should make one large enough for him. He would, he would give him two guilders for it. The purse maker took the two guilders and made him a purse. He used three ox hides for it and three would have been enough to carry a coffin and into which one might have poured a bushel of corn. When Eulenspiegel came back, he said, Master, this purse is large enough, but the large purse I had in mind isn't this purse, so I don't want it either. It's still too small. If you can make me a purse so large that I can take one penny out of it and two are still left inside it, so I'd never be without money and never have to grovel for a living, Mm -hmm. I'd buy it from you and pay. These purses you've made me are empty. They're useless to me. I've got to have full purses. Otherwise, I can't go among people. 
And he left, leaving his purses so with true. him, and said, You keep them in case of a good sale. And he left the two guilders, although he had easily cut leather for him for five guilders. Damn. That's the end of the jest? That's the end of the jest. <laughs> Basically, he's like, I want a large purse. Yeah. And he's just talking about the money inside of it. He wants a full purse. <laughs> he, wants a, he wants a full purse. Yeah. <laughs> Who can relate? <laughs> That's good. <laughs> I like that. There are these little, uh, there's these little like uh, accidental wisdoms, right? Yeah, yeah. That's. I think that's the whole point. Yeah. But it's it's. I think then there's ones where he just he just takes like, a dump on the floor too. Yeah. <laughs> Let's see if I can put one of those. What's the wisdom in that? <clears throat> that's just pure body. Do you know like? Do you know, like, B- M- Mikhail Bakhtin's Carnivalesque? Uh, no. It's like, he's like a Russian literary theorist, and he talks about the f- the function of the Carnivalesque, and he's specifically talking about uh, Rabelais, who is like a French writer of, like, um, tales, novels, that are, like, kind of of this variety, but maybe a little bit more Renaissance era mm-hmm. versus straight up. I guess 1500s is still like high Middle Ages, right? Yeah. High, late Middle Ages. Yeah. Um, but he talks about how the carnivalesque is this like mode of um, well, the society has like two modes, carnival and Lent. Mm. And Lent is like asceticism and piousness and like order. And then carnival is just like suspension of suspension of um the everyday order and you mix the lower he talks about how you you mix like the lower bodily substratum with like the higher um you know aspirations of the soul so it's very like it's very cosmic definitely so there's that like that like intermingling yeah and sacred and profane exactly yeah i think there's also like a and it's taking it in 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 the kind of like debt jubilee carnival mm-hmm. kind of way as well. It's like the time when 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 the uh, everything is just yeah like forgiven like you're, forgiven yeah, yeah exactly you're kind of uh, you're you're kind of able to do whatever and come back <laughs> come back as yeah as if nothing had happened during yeah. the carnival yeah which I. And this Eulenspiegel. <laughs> I was trying to find one specifically where it's, it's the story is just like how how Eulenspiegel basted a roast from his from his uh, behind so that nobody would eat it. <laughs> like, oh yeah. How Eulenspiegel in Bremen basted his roast from his behind so nobody wanted to eat it. After Eulenspiegel played that joke in Bremen, he became quite well known. It was like this in the city of Bremen that all the citizens enjoyed having him around and wanted him to play all sorts of pranks. So Eulenspiegel spent a long time in that city. Once there was a convocation of citizens and inhabitants as well as merchants. They had an agreement among themselves that one of them would prepare a roast with cheese and bread. Mm. And whoever did not come would have to pay the host for the entire meal. That's, damn, that's a pretty... <laughs> we should start that's doing a good that. restaurant policy. <laughs> it is. When Eulenspiegel arrived at the, these festivities in the Bremen marketplace, they took him for a clown since he wanted to join their assembly. Well, as the question of the banquet went around, it came to Eulenspiegel too, so he invited his companions to his inn. 
purchased a roast and placed it on the fire. As feasting time was approaching, the company gathered in the marketplace and debated among themselves whether they wanted to go to Eulenspiegel's to eat, and each asked the next if nobody knew whether he had cooked something or not, so they would not go there for nothing. Well, they came to an agreement that they would go there together. Better that everybody discover the trick than one person alone. Well, when the company arrived at the inn where Eulenspiegel was staying, he took a piece of butter, stuck it into the groove of his behind, turned his ass towards the fire over the roast, and basted the roast that way with the butter from his groove. And, the, and his guests arrived at the door, stopped, and tried to see whether he had cooked anything. They saw him standing that way near the fire and basting the roast. So they said things like this. The devil be his guest, I won't eat that roast. But Eulich Beagle demanded payment from them for the food, which they all cheerfully offered as long as they did not have to eat the roast. <laughs> These stories. <laughs> but he, I mean, is, I mean, he, so does that mean he <laughs> ate the whole roast? <laughs> That's what I'm confused by. It's like, if he's, he's kind of ruining it for himself as well. No. I think he might eat the roast. He yeah. eats his own poop in this, yeah. maybe multiple times. Yeah. Well, that's cool. Yeah. It just, it, I opened it to a story about how he defeated a king's jester, the king of Poland's jester. Um, and it just, something about it seemed right. It seemed that I needed to, to have yeah. this book yeah. <laughs> about Till Eulenspiegel. I don't know. I just it felt it felt right to talk tales. Yeah, we're always telling each other tales. Yeah, I was just telling you a tale about um, getting fired from my restaurant job. I don't know if I can tell that story. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, it's I, a pretty good story. It's though. a pretty good story. All right, so listeners know by now that I'm a man of I'm a man of recovery. I'm a man of, um, I'm a man of sobriety and it was hard earned. It's been hard earned and I take that, I take that seriously, but I think it's fun. Just like Eulenspiegel likes to regale us with, you know, these moments of chaos that bring us close to sort of, you know, what it means to be alive, mm -hmm. what it means to be, what it means to be in relationship with other people. Sometimes I like to revisit the <clears throat> the the comedy of errors that was um, was my former life, as people often say in treatment when they're hanging out together. Well, you either laugh or you cry about it. So stuff, true. stuff like that. Yeah, and it's very true. Um, so sort of a sense of gallows humor develops, and uh, I'd like to share some of that with you tonight. <laughs> so uh Hank well Hank was saying that he had a rough night last night at work, so this is why I told him this story. It much yeah. like much like in the Arabian Nights is a f it, I have this book with me here. We're we're gonna touch on this, but it's a frame narrative in which the pain of being alive is cured by the telling of stories mm -hmm. of other people's sufferings. This morning Hank came to me and said, Man, I had a rough night at work last night. Yeah. And I, I regaled him with a tale. Exactly. Yeah. And it cured my suffering. <laughs> yeah. It really is like that, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. Isn't it great too when like especially if it comes from an elder, if you come to if you go to an elder and say, mm -hmm. I'm struggling with this and then they say, Oh, when I was your age, 
Exactly. I struggled too. <laughs> There's something about that that just feels yeah. Unless you're so not receptive to it. <laughs> yeah. Well, unless you've got <laughs> the wrong kind of parent, or yeah. you're not you're a teenager at the time, and yeah, you're like that's different. It's never happened. Yeah. Ever. Yeah. And you realize like actually it has, and that's good. Yeah. No, but like, so when I was um, when I was using. I was living, I had just moved back from New York City. I was living in my hometown in Wisconsin, and I, I, I had a series of serving jobs. First, I worked at this place out in Coon Valley, uh, Vernon County, um, the Driftless area, which is like, I actually learned this recently. Coon Valley was, um, was the town where they first started using, um, like, they first started using these like sustainable farming techniques of like putting crops in like rows, mm. um, like spaced out rows yeah. so that they would, you know what I'm saying? Instead of just like, so just like blasting the fields with it. Cause they, yeah. the it's the picture, the driftless is like, it's like coolies and, and valleys and bluffs. It's, it's just sort of like folded terrain. Often, I often think of, Deleuze's book on Leibniz <laughs> the fold <laughs> when I'm there because I mean I'm joking but but it's partially serious because like the, the just the idea of the fold is basically like you go into the fold and you get lost mm-hmm. like it doesn't have like contiguous um, spatial right. mapping right mm-hmm. and that's that's what it's like or it's like being in um, you know in Valparaiso Chile and you're in the you know you're in the the hills among all the the veins of different streets that go up into the hills and there's shacks everywhere mm-hmm. and you can go down a street and you don't know where you are in the city anymore. Definitely. Um, so Coon Valley is like that. So this, 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 I'm going off, but just let, he's going off. Just work with me here. <laughs> so, so I, I, I worked first, I worked at a restaurant there called Desachio's Coon Creek Inn. Mm. And and it was run by this guy Lou DeSascio, who was the only only Italian American in Vernon County, and he loved to make a big show of that. And so I I worked there for like the last two mo- two months that they were open, and they'd been open for like forty years or something like that. It's they started out as a very like beloved Italian restaurant, but by the time I worked there, she was just like using like frozen stuff and Marty and Lou. Uh, Lou was just sitting at the end of his end of the bar, watching Sports Center, um, telling stories about the good old days. Damn. And he used to love to tell this story about how, because he he came from Jersey and he used to run a casino in Atlantic City, and he loved to tell the story about how one time Frankie Valley tried to pick up Marty, his <laughs> wife, who's the chef, mm-hmm. and the story was unbelievable for several reasons. <laughs> uh, um. But he would always, he would tell the story over and over again. He'd be, the guy was a, he was, he was an asshole. He had a Napoleon complex. Because, you know, Frankie Valley's really short. Yeah. And he would always say, I just about socked him in the face. Um, he would have he would been buried well, in the water. Well, perhaps. But I also think that Lou's family ran the casino uh, in Atlantic City. So I think that. It would have been. And Lou one time told me that. And I don't know if this was Cap, because he was the type of guy to Cap, but he he loved to tell me a story about how 
he had John Gotti out there riding ATVs in Coon mm. Valley mm. in the in the eighties. <laughs> you love to tell that story. Uh, we had John Gotti out here riding riding ATVs. Riding quads, baby. I just love to picture that, like riding past an Amish man and horse and buggy. John Gotti, like yeah. full suit in the ATV. Yeah. But I honestly, I do believe it. Lou, Lou was kind of a scary guy. He had a management style that in today's parlance would probably be called um, abusive. Yeah. He's <laughs> <laughs> a mean man. He used to abuse abuse me emotionally, but he wanted the best for me. And, and when I quit working there, when they closed the restaurant down finally, he um, he said, he said, Nick, you know, we're we're family. And if you ever need anything... You come to me. Nice. And I believe him. Yeah. Honestly. But anyways, that was the first one I worked in. So then I had to find a new job and I decided to get a job at this high end kind of like surf and turf place in town, mm-hmm. right, right downtown in La Crosse. Uh, shit, I just docks my hometown. That doesn't matter. No one cares. Bleep it out yeah. if you want. <laughs> I'm not you can cut it as it were. So I, I worked there for several months and it was going okay, but my drug habit was really picking up when I was there. I was using a lot of, I was using a lot of amphetamines, a lot of downers too. And in the summer we had this patio that would get really, really busy. So if you were working the patio, you really had to be like on point for that day. Mm. And if you know anything about drug addiction, you know um, that, you know, I think there's a line in the big book of AA that says like, we have like a we have like a positive talent for getting getting tight at at just the wrong perfectly wrong time mm-hmm. you know what i mean it's like that there's this timing aspect to it where it's like just when things are like couldn't be worse for you to be like extremely messed up yeah that's when it te- that's when you tend to like be messed up yeah so that that's what would happen what happened i had this patio shift and um basically i I'd take, I'd ordered a bunch of drugs from the dark web and I'd taken, um, I'd started off my day with, I think I'd started off my day with like a little bit of, um, Xanax. I don't know if it was like, um, I don't know if it was like Elprazolam powder because I used to get that and that stuff is real dangerous. Have you ever seen that? No. It's just like 99% pure elprazolam oh yeah so the the dosing recommendation was was take a toothpick and lick it and then stick the tip of the toothpick <laughs> in say, like, yeah we're talking micrograms yeah so then basically i would always black out whenever i used that and i always think i'm not gonna black out this time but so i like started my day off with that and then i think i realized like oh i have like a patio shift later like i have to pull myself together so in 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 the state I was in, I thought, well, I'll take some of these, um, I'll I'll take some of these methamphetamine pills that I have, yeah, um, in order to perk, my, yeah, perk, perk up. me up, pull myself together. Um, so I did that, and then I remember I got like extremely zooted off those, and uh, 
And then I think I took a little bit more Xanax because I was like, I got to take the edge off. (laughs) So I remember, I remember like thinking in the back of my mind, because when you're on Xanax, you can't really worry about anything, but there's a part of you that's, you know, in the back of your conscious, that's Mm -hmm. sort of like, "Ah, I should be worried about this. So I remember going for a walk in the marsh. We have like marshlands and lacrosse before work. Um, And I remember my vision was like, like blurring at the edges and i remember i was playing i was listening to gas and mud by lil dirk in the car gas and mud lean in lean in was a good song but and then i got into work and it was like the busiest day of the year it was like 90 degrees out and i got like right away i got this table of this regular guy who comes in all the time and he's known to be like extremely exacting yeah and so i get seated and then i get seated a bunch of other tables and i realize um very quickly that the logic the sequential memory part of my brain is completely not functioning yeah so i can't i can't remember anything yeah i take an order and then i go to the pos system to put something in and i can't remember anything that just happened Mm -hmm. and i thought okay this is going to be an issue yeah it doesn't work especially for an exacting guest yeah no i mean it it was it was it was a travesty And, and i was trying to hide it to my coworkers, and my homie ryan came up to me this is a tall gregarious guy from from um wisconsin dells um really kind guy came up to me and pulled me aside he was like bro are you rolling right now (laughs) like your eyes are crazy (laughs) i was like no man i just like i took a little adderall like you know i'm fine (laughs) he's like bro are you rolling (laughs) (laughs) so crazy I, I look, probably looked so insane. <laughs> Did her plate eyes. Yeah. Like, just like serving people. <laughs> no, I, I'm sure it was horrific. It just, just wait. It just gets more and more. This is a real Eulenspiegel tale. I'm really like laying myself out there, but I, I think this is important to do for the reasons I stated. So, and then I've also got, um, then I've also got with me on the patio, my older, older friend, um, this woman, I'm forgetting her first name, but let's just call her Anne. It was something plain like that. She was nice. She clearly knew that I was not functioning well, so she took one of my tables for me. She was like, "You just fo- you just focus on that guy, because he's you know, I can already yeah. tell he's getting pissed off. You've already had to go back to his table and ask him several things." Mm-hmm. So then he orders this. He orders a hundred dollar bottle of wine, mm-hmm. um, and. He wants it decanted, <laughs> of course. So at our restaurant, uh, when we serve wine with a decanter, you know, it's a big glass. It's like a vase, you know, big, fragile uh, mm. glass decanter. We have to go get a key, and then we take the the wine bottle and the decanter out of this like glass case. <laughs> this like it's yeah. fair, it's a big show. Yeah, you know. So I go and do that, and, and you're balancing it on one of those wide serving trays mm-hmm. that you set on like a, what are those things called? Like the a stand, a stand, a <laughs> tray probably, stand, yeah. basically. So I I go and get those, and um, I'm I'm just being like, don't it's like just just get through this, and sh- I mean my motor coordination is probably three sheets to the wind, 
and um i'm i'm halfway out onto the patio in slow motion i can see this happening and um i drop the whole tray i break the decanter and and the expensive bottle of wine uh, in front of this whole patio it's probably like you know 70 people out there and in my stupor i decide that the wisest thing to do in the situation is to um bend down and start picking up the pieces of glass with my hands <laughs> the broken glass so um i bend down and i'm picking up these pieces of broken glass and my hands are getting cut by the glass <laughs> so <laughs> there's red wine all over the floor and and i'm also bleeding right all over the floor and uh you know god just imagine the the, the motor the small motor skills just like out the window so you're just, just like, like gripping the glass just like yeah and down just like grasp pulling it up yeah so i have this kind of uh you know i've got the uh the stigmata going on, on the hands and uh yeah i mean that's pretty much it my manager front of house manager pulled me aside and was like yeah we think you're really sleep we think you are tired you're exhausted and you may need a few days off work and they didn't actually fire me at that time but um it was you know i imagine probably pretty um pretty horrific for someone to watch and on a real note you know it's one of those things where i think it i mean it definitely you know it's one of those things you have to reconcile yourself with after you get, after you get sober. It's like, I was really like, you know, I was really like in that, <laughs> I was really like stooped to that, yeah. you know, level really of like, like humility. Sifting through. Yeah. Humiliation. Really. Yeah. yeah. Sifting through glass on a patio, like in front of, in front of a crowd. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so, I'm grateful that I don't have to do that anymore. And, um, you know, what do you think of that story, Hank? <laughs> how, how Henderson of the cross. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> mm. Like bro, got the stigmata. You're, you're missing half the stories in but, my mind. But there's a, there's an end to it, which is that I got another job after that at a different place above the co-op. And one day Lou DeSascio and Marty came in for lunch mm. and Lou was like walking on a cane. He was looking real bad. Yeah. It was like, um, you know, his, his health was failing. And he looked at me real mean and <laughs> he, was, he was sort of limping away on the cane laboriously. And he said, you ever going to do anything other than serving, Nick? You're never going to do anything with your life other than, other than serving food? Hell yeah. And I and I looked at him and I I don't know what I said, but I I can see now that that was a you know was a loving like, gesture. Yeah. Yeah. I believe in you and you you do this to me. Yeah, exactly. You let me see you like this. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> no, How dare was, you? It was like that. It was like that. Yeah. Yeah. Some you I feel like there's not enough of that. No. They're really, if someone like no. kept coming into be my real, job real and said me. that to me, yeah, I wouldn't be, I wouldn't be doing it. Let me tell you that one. I'd be, yeah, I'd be a hustle mind grind set guy. Yeah. 
No, I mean, it definitely made me, um, I mean, it was probably like confusing for him what I was doing. Not that yeah. there's anything wrong with serving, but no, not at all. I was just like in my hometown, like clearly. I was a weird guy back back then, man. Hmm. I was a straight up weird guy. <laughs> how it's like how Nick became part of the mob, yeah. received the stigmata, <laughs> <laughs> and and humiliated himself. Yeah. <laughs> that would be your Eulenspiegel story. Mm-hmm. This is the other story that Lou always used to tell. He would say, "My brother, who was a." My brother was a genius. He got into Princeton. My parents took him up to Princeton, visit the campus. He said, I can't go to school with these people. I can't. So, so he went to Rutgers. <laughs> you tell that story over and over again. That's like hardly a good story. It's like a good, it's like a good like joke almost. It wasn't a joke. He was no, like I dead know, serious when he said it. It's like not, that's why I mean. It's like not a good story. No, it was just, it was just him being like. It was just him being like, we could have been successful, but we refused it because we we don't like, you know, the elites. Yeah. It was pretty classic stuff. That's good. Yeah. Damn. Well, you're not like that now, bro. You're doing great. <laughs> Thank you. No, I mean, I know. I see you, man. Yeah. Lou Pistachio would be proud. Lou Pistachio. What's his <laughs> Pistachio? <laughs> Lou Disagio. 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 He'd be proud, man. Yeah. He'd be like, he'd be like, <laughs> he's probably, he's passed, I'm guessing. I don't know. I would guess he he probably would be close to it because I was working there and he's not, the thing is he's not that old, but mm. he was in not great health. He would, he'd been yeah. eating his wife's bolognese at the end of the bar for 30 years <laughs> right. straight. Yeah. Not exercising. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, he's probably he's probably out there saying like, you know, I don't know, like little little Nick Henderson, you know, he <laughs> we sent him off, you know. I always believed in that guy and I just I told him he had to get out of here <laughs> and he did. <laughs> there was this uh there's this when I was in lacrosse at that time there was this um this isn't a I don't know, we'll see. There's this bar called the Casino, and it was like a. I would take you there if we if we ever visited, but I don't know if it's still open. But it's just got a cool interior. It's like, it looks like a um, prohibition spot, yeah. but not in like a new wave, like contrived way. Right. It's just like, <laughs> these, like these, it's just set. got this like yeah, it's got these like round. Um, it's like stadium seating. But mm. the, the stadium seating is in booths. So they're just rounded. That's, you know what I'm yeah, saying? Yeah. yeah. And then there's a big mirror. But anyways, I was there one night and I used to go there and I knew the bartender. So she would let me um, take the aux, aux cable <laughs> and I would be like all these townies just like drunk as fuck. And I would start playing. I would start playing um, Hate Being Sober by Chief Keith. Yeah. And it would cause fights. <laughs> people would just like start fighting each other immediately and so then the bartender would always get mad at me or i would play um i would play like space ghost perp songs but one night i was doing that and i met this 
young woman who had just moved um just moved to lacrosse from orange county california mm-hmm. and naturally i was like you know i was like i've you've i've got to talk to you because like you know i'm so right. lonely and like you you come from the outside yeah. world you know what i mean what a crazy move but she told me she was like she had moved there basically like i later learned this was cap but she told me that she had moved there like in search of basically like the the wisconsin terroir you know the mm. uh the organic movement <laughs> so to speak yeah. back to the land yeah and um I was like, oh, that's cool. That's cool. And um, I don't know. We had a mis- misconnection and I um, I ended up going away to rehab. <laughs> and then like my friend Mirko like went up to her at the coffee shop where she was working. And it was like, yeah, and, like Nick is in rehab. Do you want to go visit him? <laughs> Just like insane. <laughs> like we did not know each other. <laughs> I was like yeah like he would like to see you yeah i'm just passing a communication from yeah. nick he said rehab I did not he tell all, him to say all, that. He, all he could think of is you it's humiliating but um I, I went back there later and i talked to her just cause she was working at the coffee shop just saw her in passing and i was like i was like yeah sometimes you just got to get out of your hometown she was like oh i know i understand yeah so we had that we had that reconciliation. Um, but then I, I found out later that her mom, her mom was in AA and I'd met her mom at an AA meeting in lacrosse. Oh, wow. And so I found out that it was Cap that she had moved there. Yeah. In search of the organic movement because she moved there with her mom. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, you know, or maybe her mom was in search of the, or- the organic it's, movement. It's probably true. Yeah. Some, to some extent. Mm-hmm. But yeah, yeah. All these tales. Just re- reflecting, you know. Yeah, we're Gotten just reflecting. Here. We're just reflecting now. You had an encounter with an old friend last night, right? I did. Yeah, yeah my first friend. Yeah. Shouts out, shouts out, Marco. Yeah. I know he listens to this. What's up, Marco? It's uh, not to be confused with Marco Fields, <laughs> the proprietor of Mojo Coffee Gallery. <laughs> shouts out, Marco Fields, too. <laughs> yeah. His, did uh, did his did his uh his weird like tales I don't know. tales already happen? So this man is he runs the coffee shop down the street from us, mm-hmm. and it's like the coffee shop inside one of those. Listeners know these 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 scams. It's one of these buildings that they call like art. It's like an artist loft building. Yeah. So it's, it's all it's, retirees. It's all retirees <laughs> making like coffee mugs. Yeah. Make, uh, making coffee mugs and like watercolors in Paris. They're paying like four. They're like they, actively they're the, gentrifying the neighborhood. They're the, yeah, they're the people who like actually have like a. I'm, their studio probably costs like four hundred. Like the subsidized art yeah. studios. They're they're retirees paying probably like four hundred dollars a month for like a massive, like beautiful, beautiful studio loft. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, but but he runs the coffee shop down there, and it's like we kind of mess with it because it's it's not a third wave coffee shop, mm-hmm. so it is it is kind of like terrible, but it's kind of a refreshing atmosphere sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, but we we like to laugh about Marco because he's kind of like a self styled like man of the world. Yeah, he's got like all these like 
He's got tribal masks. He's got tribal and masks like, and like, like artifacts. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Which are also for sale too. I didn't realize. It, it, it looks like a, like a Grizzlies in there. If you've ever been to like the chain restaurant, Grizzly, uh, oh, it's like one of those, it's one of those specific. restaurants that's like covered in memorabilia. Right. It yeah. does. It does. Yeah. Or like a Joe's Crab Shack. Yeah. Just like, yeah. Just like a chain restaurant that yeah. has a theme. Yeah. It's gonna, yeah. But, but Marco was supposed to be hosting this like storytelling event where he was going to like, it was called like Tales of Old Smarty Pants or something like yeah. that. Yeah. And, uh, Damn, we honestly, honestly, we should go. We it should hasn't go. happened already. <laughs> we should go. Yeah, and might have to move this tales episode out <laughs> so that we can get some tales from Marco. He also hosted the uh, the memorial party for our for our uh, deceased friend. Yeah, rest in peace. Rest which in is peace. pretty strange. It is. He made he made uh, Sam turn turn the music down when he was playing like he was playing like. Uh, young pappy too loud or something like yeah. that <laughs> i was wondering about that because i kept being like we should turn it up we should turn it up but i guess marco was yeah i mean yeah. he just likes to play hotel california by the eagles yeah that's so day. he he's a he's an archetype he is he is it's just like he's a man, he's he's a man of the world but at the same time like he listens to the eagles hotel california like nothing like nothing interesting at all yeah it's it's great um, yeah, so I was, I saw Marco last night, really turned my night around. We ended up, you know, really reconnecting. Um, and I guess I can, I can talk a little bit about our relationship. Yeah. Um, you know, Let me eat my peanut butter toast. Yeah. I just had a, I had a very interesting, like Marco and I grew up together, uh, and like our, our parents were friends. So he, I consider him my first friend. He's like first memory of friend is Marco. Mm -hmm. And we were friends like all through elementary school. Uh, I often reminisce when I think about like using a phone instead of texting about how I would like wake up at like 7.30 a.m. and like call over to his house. Yeah. Like, can Marco speak? And like, I'm waking up his parents, you know? Mm-hmm. Basically, like, you can't call over here at 7.30 a.m. <laughs> uh, Let's go. We got moves to make. We got moves to make. Hustle mindset, yeah. baby. We, <laughs> we got, like, uh, vacant lots to hang out in. Yeah. Uh, I grew up in an industrial part of the city. Um, but, uh, yeah, we kind of, like, parted ways uh, for various reasons. I, I certainly basically became kind of like a bully which i've alluded to um you know kind of transferring transferring some housing my, my home life situations onto friends mm. and i think that that like you know put him off for a while and then we reconnected in high school when we all went to high school together and he had gone to kind of the the school in northeast where all the all the like you know it was an it was an open school as it were which is a little bit less woo woo than say a montessori right but it's like is it still uh publicly funded it's a public school yeah fully yeah. it's not a magnet or anything it's yeah. just like that's the school um yeah so we went to the high school in the city that was for like open schools i went to the one where my mom taught um and we reconnected but there's something about 
this school that he went to that basically all these, all these, I have theories about all these young men in the city (laughs) who went to this school, both being like extremely bright and intelligent and like, uh, like, you know, deep thinkers and things like that. And it's beautiful mind, beautiful mind mode. Yeah. Uh, and also like extremely, like, I think that they were suffering. There was a, there was a heavy metal, like plating, situation like plant like six blocks away yeah and i'm pretty sure that like basically their bodies were being filled with heavy metals and toxins yeah and so they were all on high alert but basically everyone i know from these schools have like cliques or like gangs yeah where they feel like attacked by the outside world and they got to stick together and they pretty much continue on to this day yeah it seems um it really does seem like that. It runs deep. It does as run deep. As the guy deep. said to you last night <laughs> yeah. at the bar. <laughs> exactly. It, run, it runs deep. And I get, I get, he told me I'd, I'd get respect from where I'm, for, for being where I'm from. He like checked, he checked me. He's like, you from Northeast? Like, yeah. where? He's like, he stated like the address he grew up at and yeah. I stated mine. He's from like, you'll get, you'll get, you'll get respect for that. I was like, okay, <laughs> like from you, yeah, just in general. Uh, that's that's so cool, yeah. Um, but <laughs> we, um, so I basically got folded back in to this group, yeah, or like they kind of attempted to. I was folded back into this group, yeah, um, of these boys, but I'd, I'd been gone too long. I was built different, I had friends on the south side, you know, yeah, I, I was. I kind of floated between. I You're wasn't Gandalf. I wasn't yeah, I was Gandalf. I I don't I wasn't like locked down with the click like ready to ride or die. Yeah. Which is what I think that's what's required. I mean, we see that mentality in some of our northeast born and bred friends for yeah, sure. Exactly. Yeah. Um and you know, we just we had a wild kind of summer. We'd roam the skyways of the city late at night yeah. because they're still open so that people can like go get to their park cars so like the city will shut down downtown yeah, yeah. but like you can roam the skyways wow. yeah it was like real like romantic <laughs> yeah um and it kind of things started to fall apart when i kind of like got them all in trouble hmm. the first time okay i'll admit it was me you know i i again i was kind of like unhinged mode like my science teacher let me kind of steal things so <laughs> <laughs> kind of steal another, things. yeah this is that's a that's a whole like other chemicals? story uh yeah Be- beakers yeah. yep uh basically anything she let me into the she let me into the back kind of room where they stored things and i i got like i got probably like a half quart of hydrochloric acid. Yeah. I got just like hypodermic needles. I got like razor, like scalpels. And another, stuff. another digression, but another seeming epidemic in Minneapolis is uh, public school employees with a terrible grasp on boundaries <laughs> yeah. in exactly. one way or another. Exactly. I heard, heard so many stories. Yeah. So yeah. she was just like so dope. She was so down. Yeah. She was born in, uh, she was born in international waters so that she had no nationality. Oh, she was a stateless person. She was a stateless person. My, Jamaican. My friend Tony. Not my friend Tony. My <laughs> my professor Tony. <laughs> uh, Tony Brown at the U 
does like his like research project is on stateless persons. Interesting. Yeah. Hmm. He's I mostly th- like coming from like a 17th century enlightenment philosophy. Like, yeah, not like perspective <laughs> though. Yeah. Not like interesting, uh, raw vegans who have weird relationships with 14 year olds. Um, <laughs> But so I just like would have this stuff and, you know, I, yeah, freaking, I was like, I would like carry, I would carry weapon, you know, I would, I would, uh, Mm -hmm. I would have like syringes and shit on me, you know, just be like case, like it was like a weird, like devious thing where it was like, if someone runs up on me, it's not going to be like a normal weapon. It's about to be like a syringe. (laughs) But so we were, they, that, that just freaked out. I think like one, one of the guys a little bit, everyone else was (laughs) like pretty, everyone else was pretty chill with it, I think. But, but one day we were, uh, at the target downtown Mm -hmm. and I dealt with a pretty severe case of kleptomania in high school. Um, you know, kind of the control through being able to like steal things. It was very, I was very, very good at it. Um, and except for this one day, uh, when I was stealing like the most em- embarrassing thing, which is Yu-Gi-Oh cards, <laughs> and I was just like, I was just pocketing all these Yu-Gi-Oh cards. Yeah, and I had my regular deck with me too, which rest in peace. There's thousands of dollars probably worth of Yu-Gi-Oh cards in that deck now. Um, but I, I, I was stealing them, and this this skinhead like 19 year old came up to me mm-hmm. and just all he said was give me everything and i was like what like i just assumed he was robbing me like yeah. broad daylight in in the store yeah <laughs> he was literally like looked like a raf simmons model or something like bald head and like big bomber jacket i was like oh you're just a skinhead like robbing me listen this is this is what you might run into in Minneapolis 15 years ago. Yeah, I was like, this doesn't... Not not today. Not these, today. These people are wiped out or reformed. Yeah. Uh, Absorbed into the uh, dumpster diving crews. Yeah. yeah. But so it turned out that he was employed by the store to like track people <laughs> who might be stealing. And he was like, Get, empty your pockets. Give yeah. me everything. And yeah. He meant the Yu-Gi-Oh cards. Yeah. And so I like did. And then he also took my deck because he just assumed that it was like mm. I had stolen that too. Yeah. And I didn't want to be like, actually, like, <laughs> no, 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 I didn't steal that. Uh, um, and we were kicked out of the store. Nothing really happened. They were just like, don't come back. Yeah. But like all Plus. my, all my homies were also kicked out of the store. Yeah. They're really mad about that. So later on uh, in the summer, one day I went, I was, I was going to hang out with, with them girl black shouts out. If you're listening to this, these, these guys are maniacs run up on me, bro. Uh, <laughs> damn. <laughs> Do we really want to be, it's turning into like a no jumper <laughs> situation. Yeah. That's, that's sick. not good. That's sick. He tra- Anyways, uh, <laughs> this all folds back in on it itself because the last time I saw him was at the memorial for our friend. Yeah. And he tried to like turn it into something. Really? So, yeah. Okay. He like, he like came up and was just like, how have you been? Like, like in a weird, in a very weird way. Yeah. Um, but he, uh, so I went over to his house, um, 
honestly, I just want him to get the help he needs. Very broken home. But he... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Damn, you're really putting his business out. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> thank you for that. So uh, I went over there and it was just me and him and a friend came... Uh, a friend, probably like Luke or somebody came through. Eric was there too. It's a whole bunch. It was a whole bunch of kids. They yeah. But then like two of them left to like go pick up their friend. Yeah. Our, our other friend. Yeah. And Kyle, like half an hour later, Kyle was like, "Oh, we're all gonna like meet up at De La Salle." So we went to the high school football field. Yeah. And like basically everybody in this friend group was there. It was about seven guys. I feel like they're like sitting on. The, the bleachers and we all go up and basically they like held an intervention where they were just like we don't fuck with you anymore like you're out yeah and uh basically i did like the most like basically humiliating thing that i've ever done which is yeah i'm like why so i'm, I'm like i'm trying to figure out why this is going on yeah and they're just like we just decided we don't like you like you're not you're not a part of this group anymore but you can continue hanging out with us for the rest of the day oh, god <laughs> and i did why did they say that i don't that's know such a weird that's the th- that's that's the thing is that like that's for the listener that's, that's like a eulenspiegel logic literally like Literally, like the Duke is like, yeah. you're kicked out of here, and you'll be you're, hanged you're if you come back. from the kingdom, but you can stay and watch the rest of the performance. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And it it that's that's kind of the mentality for the listener that that runs through these groups. Yeah. Of 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 guys, which is like yeah, it's like what, thinking is it's like what Meadow Soprano says about the mafia. Once again, I'm alluding to this <laughs> on the Sopranos, where she's like, actually, they bring an ancient form of conflict solving from the planes of whatever yeah and yeah no that's literally kind of how it is pre-modern power yeah yeah so i was like basically kicked out and you know there were some other there were some other instances i'm framing it more like i i messed up and like was kicked out yeah um that wasn't really how like marco saw it in the the future and and how i saw it at the time i was basically dumped out of this friend group for not being like down enough yeah um but they continued on and and marco and i reconnected last year because he had eventually like dropped this group yeah he had he had kind of woken up i mean i think that it's the case that at a certain point if people don't get out of these groups at least in their sort of primordial formation that they they get dragged down by yeah right it's not necessarily healthy no not at all yeah not at all yeah um and you know i won't put his business out there but it seems like it seems it seems like basically how it reads from yeah. my experience is that uh it's it's like leaving a gang yeah like he's getting like stalked and stuff by them but uh have you ever listened to that um we've talked about <laughs> we talked about jake verdon on here right money power land solidarity yeah we got to talk to him I yeah. feel like it would be great. He for might us have to some insight on that too. Just talked about the sort of tribal nature of Northeast. Yeah, but because it is, it is. Yeah, and it, and we 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 like that podcast. But he did an interesting episode. Did you listen to the one he did where it was like an interview with um, 
I don't know the name of the group, but it was like an anti-racist like group no. of like Gen Xers basically from Northeast. No, I didn't. It was like he did like an interview with them. They were they were white, you know, white guys, white white women and men who grew up like white working class in Northeast and who would uh basically make it their business to fight um Nazis. Yeah. Back when this was that wasn't just like a online punch a Nazi yeah, meme. No. It was like it was actually like no, there's like there's a Nazi band that's like playing a show this weekend yeah. and we're going to go fuck them up. Yeah. Um, Northeast still kind of has that to a certain degree. You yeah. go to certain bars and you're like, Oh, this is a Nazi bar. Yeah. Oh, for sure. And it's, it's gotten way more diffuse, but like mm-hmm. even just 40 years ago, I think that was like very much the nature of it. And it was mm-hmm. like, it's an interesting interview because these people are like, aside from the fact that they hate Nazis and that they, they don't like racism, they're not political people at all yeah they're just like no we we don't fuck with them like they're they're, they're <laughs> yeah. basically their main rationale was like nazis are actually cowards yeah that was like the main thing that they were saying <laughs> um which is true i'm yeah. sure yeah i mean i don't know many nazis but it makes perfect sense um i don't know any nazis yeah, I, was about to say, bro. <laughs> I mean not that i know of um and then you know also our friend um, Revox Mass. I don't know if I can really put his name in here. I can beep that out. We'll but beep it out. His dad is, you know, Northeast through and through. Yeah. I think he was born in the 60s. Yeah. And the way, the way, like, Mass always tells me that the way, like, when he gets together with his dad and his friends, the way his dad's friends talk about his dad is, like, so insane because it's basically like, your dad used to protect us. Mm-hmm. Like, he would anyone who tried to fight us like he would he would fight them yeah and like he was like our leader yeah and he would make sure that we all got laid and like <laughs> stuff like that you know yeah. it's just like not it's not how like the world runs anymore but there's still that like undercurrent exactly and but for it's, some but, reason but it's, it's really impotent strong now. Here. it's impotent now right mm-hmm. that's the difference is like yeah now you, now you just like you're just like kids who are like yeah you know that you know that the only way to protect yourself is with this group but there's nothing you're really protecting yourself yeah. from you're on high alert because of the heavy industrial metals. waste yeah that you grew up with yeah and you don't really know why so you just roam yeah the skyways of minneapolis yeah we had a much more sort of pastoral lynchian thing going on in the cross mm-hmm. i mean that was like that was the thing with like going to work for Lou DiSascio is that like, you know, he's a character. I mean, think about how right. strange that is yeah, to, no. to be like Just a like, Jersey Italian guy <laughs> up and move to this like communalist, like right. dairy farm area and just install yourself as like the he lone was a plant. <laughs> he was a plant. And like, it, and like this was a guy that I grew up going to this restaurant with my parents and he would, you know, he, he was a good host. Yeah. You show up and he makes you feel special and, you have to love the owner of an Italian restaurant. He tells restaurant. these little anecdotes, but then you go to work for him and you see that he's absolutely miserable and that he's actually a misanthrope mm-hmm. and he he despises people. Yeah. And he only, I, this sounds bad and I'm sure, you know, I think Lou had good sides to him too, but it's like the stories that he told people again and again were for his own, you know, his own crumbling sense of self. Exactly. And it's just like, damn, this is like really dark. Yeah. I mean, that's, yeah. that's, 
don't get me started on i mean that's just kind of like yeah the narcissist <laughs> yeah kind of the, the these tales like built up yeah and they're really good storytellers yeah because of that but yeah it's like it's it's this defense mechanism against yeah again i don't want to go psychoanalysis mode no i mean i I, I i feel for him too i mean i can't absolutely i can't imagine you what it would to. be like to grow up i mean talk about a tribal environment grow up in north jersey and then move to wisconsin and like all of a sudden all your, you can your do tribe's is, gone yeah all you can do is like gossip with all these farmers yeah talk about the olden days literally it would be like i would come into work and 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 marty the chef would be like yeah the everyone in the community is pretty bummed out that the johnson's um farm burned the johnson's barn burned down last night and they lost all their cows yeah and it was like that kind of thing definitely <laughs> just yeah. like passing it along yeah damn yeah what are we I just I need to run tests on these northeast guys. Yeah. I think there's I mean I don't really need to. <laughs> there's nothing I can really do. But Yeah, what shifting would, that sh I I don't know. I I think that everyone Why do you think you're so obsessed with this? Um I don't know. I feel it I feel it just like it like pains me yeah. to like Cause it's like so evident that like something's going on yeah. with like, and, and I come from a family of, you know, my grandma was like an environmental activist within like the city itself, yeah. or like Northeast specifically. Yeah. Um, that like, I'm like, I'm like very, especially after reading the Talon <laughs> autism essay, yeah. I'm very much just like, yo, there we're just like straight up being poisoned. Yeah. And I just, I do feel like it, it is this situation of like, instead of it being like, yeah, as I said, with these gangs that are kind of like in place in order to like yeah. kind of stay safe from other gangs and stuff like that, it's like transformed into mm. into this like specter yeah. that like no one really understands or like can see. Yeah. There's this like poisonous, corrosive just element. Yeah. There's right right now we're probably I don't know. Um thousand feet away from gaf shingle factory <laughs> which is the oldest asphalt shingle plant in the united states and when the epa regulations were passed in the 90s that prevent a lot of um chemical emissions in in the air this plant was grandfathered in so they, they don't have to comply uh which is in, insane and they emit um, they're known to emit toxic levels of formaldehyde mm -hmm. into the air every day. And, um, yeah, I mean, there's higher rates of asthma and, uh, lung cancer and leukemia. Yeah. Let's go baby. In the neighborhood. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but you know, it's a beautiful neighborhood. Ain't pod can't go on forever. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, but shit, I think, you know, it's nice to tell stories. It is. It's been, it's been definitely, it's definitely been good. And I've been a little coffee real quick. Yeah. Can you top me up too? Can you top me off too? <laughs> um, uh, so I mentioned a little bit earlier, I've been teaching, uh, I've been teaching this text, the Arabian Nights and, um, I mean, a lot of people have heard of 
the Arabian Nights or one that it's also called One Thousand and One Nights. Um, I don't think many people, you know, know much about its origin. They just know that it is this kind of. Um, uh, I'm good, thank you. Yeah. Um, they just know that it's this kind of like representation of a of an ancient or like medieval. Um, uh, sorry. I get distracted when you look at your phone. Yeah, I'm so bro. sorry, bro. That's just, okay. Just checking time for I, us. Yeah. How, how long have we been going? Uh, an hour. Okay. I'll go a little bit longer. Yeah, I think we're good. We're doing um, great. So I'll just start over. Um, so I mentioned earlier a little bit about um, the Arabian Nights and talking about like the frame narrative and how, um, you know, when you feel like When you feel like you're like under attack from from the uh, the danger of like being involved with with other people in the real world, and the contingency that you're exposed to, from like yeah, just like having relationships with people, mm-hmm. telling stories can be like really um, healing force because stories are just like these big balls of of affect that like that kind of like balance they like balance you out yeah because you see um you see, i don't know you see yourself in someone else mm-hmm. there's a symmetry to it right and the arabian nights is like um it's a compendium of stories from like i think beginning in like the ninth century but the manuscript this one is based on is from the 14th century syrian manuscript and it's written in arabic an anonymous author um and the original manuscript has like no punctuation or diacritic remarks mm. um, or mark diacritic marks. So it's like, it wasn't, you know, it wasn't like written in paragraphs like this. So it's mm-hmm. just like, it's like, keeps going, just on. keeps going on. It's just like oral. And basically it's like, I told you this story like nine times, but, um, it's all good. Let it rip. But like, it starts out with these two Kings and, um, they're brothers. They live in, um, one of them lives in, I believe, Khorasan, which is in present-day Afghanistan. One of them lives um, closer to closer to, to Syria, um, and the one in Khorasan, he like he's gonna go visit his brother, so he's like getting all this stuff ready to go visit him, and he leaves his uh, you know kingdom or castle for like a day, and then he comes back and. He finds his wife in bed with a, like a porter, like a servant of some sort. Mm-hmm. He's like, oh man, this is terrible. And uh, he had, puts his wife to death. There's a lot of that going on. Yeah. Um, and then he goes to visit his brother and he doesn't tell his brother what's going on. But his brother goes out on like a hunt um, one of the next few days. And basically um, the brother that stays behind he witnesses that guy's wife taking place uh, or taking part in like a massive orgy um, that she's like organizing (laughs) and she does it like every single day for like four hours. (laughs) Um, And then, so then the other guy comes back from the hunt and 
uh, his brother ends up telling him what happened. Um, and he tells him what happened with his wife too. And they're both just like, oh my God, like the suffering of this world is like incomprehensible. And, uh, they, they do put it in this misogynistic way, you know, and, mm-hmm. and, and it's interesting cause there's a lot of misogyny in the story, but it's debatable whether the actual work itself is misogynistic. Cause there's like, I mean, there's a lot of like women characters who have like a very important role to play. Yeah. Uh, the, the person who ends up, you know, saving the day as a woman, but so they're like, there's no, the cunning of women knows no bounds. Um, then like, let's like wander the earth and see if there's anyone else who's like suffered as much as we have. Cause, cause that we, you know, we can't believe it. So they like abandon their kingdoms and go traveling and they're in the desert and they come upon this demon and the demon comes down. And it's like, it's like in a like ball of fire and like the demon like lands that doesn't like t- say what the demon looks like or anything yeah. like that. Um, and it takes, it has this cage and it takes this woman out of a cage and then the demon goes to sleep and the woman beckons to the two Kings, the two brothers. And she basically entices them into sleeping with her. And then when they're done sleeping with her, um, she says, they both have rings on. She says, give me your rings. And they're like, okay. She takes out this big chain and it's got like 98 rings on it. And she adds their rings to it so that there's a hundred rings. And she says, these are all the rings of the men that I managed to go to bed with. Even though the demon keeps me in a cage all yeah. day. Yeah, I can still, I still do this. And they say, oh my God, save Allah. There's no force in this world that can, that can, you know, save us from the cunning of women. <laughs> but, but, I, but I think like, you know, more importantly from the possibility of being like hurt or betrayed by yeah. another person. Right. It's mm-hmm. like, it's, you can't avoid it. No. They're, they're absolutely distraught and it causes them to become hateful of women, distrustful, violent. And so the King goes back to his kingdom he says every night I'm going to sleep with a new woman. Um, and then the next morning I'll put her to death and that's what I'll do. And I'll never, no one will ever be able to hurt me. Right. Mm -hmm. And, uh, he starts doing that and everyone in his kingdom is, is really upset because all their daughters are being killed and, um, it's like a reign of terror. So he has this vizier who's like a servant. Um, that's like a higher up servant and he has this daughter uh, Shahrazad, who's like, she's real clever. And so she says, I'm going to make me, make me, um, you know, a volunteer to go, to go to bed with the King. I'm going to save everyone. And so what she does is she goes, goes to bed with the King. And when he starts, um, you know, coming on to her, she says, let me tell you a story. And then she tells him stories for, um, 1001 nights mm-hmm. and, um, the frame narrative works so that, you know, she tells like lots of stories. Um, and in the, in the middle of, of every story, it, just as the tension is increasing, it allows the frame narrative will cut in and say, um, but morning overtook Shahrazad and she lapsed into silence. Then Dinarzad, who's her sister says, 
Sister, what a strange and entertaining story. Shahrazad replied, What is this compared with what I shall tell you tomorrow night if I stay alive? And she just keeps telling the story. Mm-hmm. And then by the end, basically, um, she, the, 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 it's said that the king learns to trust her. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, he, she basically cures him of his, yeah. of his hatred and his like fear of being hurt. Damn. You know, I, two, I got two things on that. Yeah. First one before it, it fades from my memory. I don't want to get into demon logic. Yeah. No, there's a demonology, but <laughs> no, no, I, I understand that. I, as I, I specifically don't want to get into the logic of the demon that descended upon them. Yeah. But like, why, if you're like, First of all, it seems like this demon goes to bed. Yeah. And like, why would you let the prisoner out of the cage when you go to bed, but you keep it in the cage? Well, shit, I don't... <laughs> no, I, don't. I just, I just, I just want to put that out there. Yeah. That's, that's one thing. That has nothing to do with it. But the real thing that I'm thinking of is, is that you kind of have to have like an internal Scheherazade yeah. um, in order to like survive uh, as someone who... I'm going to bring all this stuff back around because I didn't really close off the, uh, yeah. the gang, the gang stuff. Uh, <laughs> I like that you're calling them gangs, even though they're not, they're not literally, gangs. they aren't, they yeah. aren't, but they act in the same yeah, way. I see what you're clicks, saying. Yeah. You know? Um, so basically like all, like being kicked out of that group and, you know, being, being cuckolded as it were mm-hmm. by another friend, uh, basically made inside of me this complete you know on like every sides i felt like worthless as a person turn you to a demon it turned me into a demon i felt completely rejected yeah um and i basically because of of my immense suffering yeah just at some point it like clicked that like i had completely like cut myself off from like from like the experience of life from people from people yeah even though i would like have friends it's like but there was there was something missing where it's like i wouldn't present myself i would just be like a vessel so that people would accept me yeah um and i had to pretty much create my own internal sherzad as like be like okay i'm like i'm gonna keep telling myself like stories about my life well that's the other thing is that like sorry this is an interruption but like at the beginning of even the frame narrative, there's a dedication to, to Allah. Mm-hmm. And it talks about how this whole thing is basically about the glory of God. Yeah. Right. And so it's like part of that is seeing yourself from the perspective of God or of creation. Right. Yeah. As a, as a, a being among mm-hmm. all other beings. No, absolutely. And that's yeah. It kind of, the thing is, is this, it, this feeling that I needed to, uh, change my frame of mind yeah just like came out of nowhere like i just like i was at like the depths of like yeah um where i was and 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 or the depths of like i guess i was like i was i was hitting bottom of of the barrel like kind of uh in in relationships and things like that and i could like i just couldn't connect at a certain level and i'm still working on it like this isn't like i now i'm dope yeah this is like a very like nick can attest this is like a very recent revelation where i like literally realized like this because of of these things that happened in my life i completely closed myself off from say like passion yeah because it scared me that like 
the things that like passion makes someone do are like you know have like a, a gang with your boys and be like yeah you against the world like create these grand narratives in your head yeah or like causes you to like cheat or causes you know do these things yeah um and i just assume that's like what it does so i like cut myself off from it that's the i would say that that's like a defining struggle of life is to remain open mm-hmm. to the possibility of love mm-hmm. with all that it <laughs> all that it entails yeah it's it's the it's the most difficult and the most courageous thing to do definitely yeah and simply by like remaining open to it like just like very bizarre things will happen yeah and that's like the best part about life to be honest and that's where you get your tales from yeah you'll start collecting grand tales from the bizarre experiences that happen and and that's what allows you to see see moments of suffering and humiliation as ultimately mm-hmm. you know seeds of um of triumph and of you know as heights yeah heights of human experience not just as proof of your because there's a worldview in which all that stuff is just proof of your insufficiency Mm -hmm. and if if insufficiency is just this as we said last week just this sort of materially determinist stats on a stats on a on a grid yeah that's um you know that's suicide fuel it is but if insufficiency is a quality of human life that's um actually common to us all then it's something else it is yeah damn i um i was just going to connect that briefly to you know i was at the jesuit retreat last weekend mm-hmm. and uh when uh when we were eating it's a silent retreat and when we were eating they played these tapes for us and the tapes were like just like talks about different jesuit stuff Mm -hmm. yeah is everything okay yeah no (laughs) i think i just like went in a little bit now i'm just like thinking okay yeah damn it's all good thanks in his feelings i'm in my feelings i just wanted to i also something else you before this yeah Yeah. i just want to i just want to you know shouts out marco again i didn't resolve this yeah he was part of that group but we reconnected yeah and i like knew immediately that we needed to like deal with things as like an adult yeah and he was like he was like plotting on that too like he had been he had been kind of on the same yeah you know kind of searching for some kind of meaning yeah uh, about this situation and obviously felt a lot of regret about it yeah. as I had felt a lot of shame about it. Yeah. Um, and like when you're like open to that and just like hearing someone out and forgiving them yeah, and like being forgiven for your role in it. Yeah. It's like really like really very powerful. Yeah. There's something really psychedelic about that. Yeah. Yeah. Because it, it literally just, like, will make these, like, things that have, like, been specters in your life, like, just disappear. disappear overnight. <laughs> yeah. 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 And that's, that's a magical thing that, like, you can, you know, you can, like, perform magic with, like, yeah. just, like, people. With words and people. Yeah. Just, like, yeah. No, it's true. It's, um, it's a beautiful process. But I was just going to say, um... 
now that your specter is, has left you. Yeah. <laughs> I just saw something in your eyes, just like, bro, are you okay? <laughs> no, I appreciate it. Um, so I was at this Jesuit retreat, silent retreat last weekend, and it's based on the Ignatian exercises, which are exercises that were created by St. Ignatius of Loyola in like the 16th century or something like that. And, uh, basically, um, part of it is, it's sort of like maps the, the, um, sort of mirrors the, the myth of the universe or the cosmos Christian in Christian theology where like the first split up into weeks, the real Ignatian exercises take 30 days. And the first week you think about the creation of the, the universe by God and the appearance of sin. So like the appearance of evil. Mm Mm-hmm. And then the second week you think about Jesus's incarnation and his, the works that he did in the world, in the gospels and stuff. And then the third week you think about his crucifixion and the fourth week you think about his resurrection, but it's all filtered through personal, you know, your own experience. Mm-hmm. And they were playing when, when we would go eat in the dining hall, it was silent, but they would just play these tapes that were like talks by Jesuits and, one of them was talking about how in Ignatian mysticism, um, there's this idea of like entering into companionship with Christ, uh, which sounds kind of hokey, you know, if you're like just at first glance, but I was trying to just like take everything in and they were talking about how, um, like in, in a loving relationship, um, things have to go two ways and like, the true the true challenge in a loving relationship is not actually like giving love but but like accepting it mm-hmm. um and hearing that just like hit like extremely hard for me and um because I think that's something that I really struggle with is like when I'm like going through my life i I have that feeling of that feeling of like insufficiency that you were alluding to a lot of the times. And like when you're in that mode, um, like in all interactions with people, you like won't let in their love Mm -hmm. because it's like too, too scary, you know? And so it's like, it's actually like, even, even though it sounds backwards that the, you know, the ethical challenge isn't to give love, but to receive it. Like, I think it is really true. Mm-hmm. It's like, that's actually, um, you know what I'm saying? Like, no, absolutely. like, like the, the real like moral test of your character is like, can you, can you be with someone and like accept that they're, they're like bringing love into your life? Exactly. It's that's very hard. It is. Yeah. It's, it's the, uh, it's, it's being able to be weak around somebody. Yeah, exactly. It's very difficult. Yeah. I've been like praying, uh, for like ten, for like tenderness. <laughs> yeah. Um, and it's really been like helping, I think. Good. Man. Yeah. Yeah. No, that it's, it's, that's extremely difficult. <laughs> yeah. I think that's, uh, you know, I'll just, I'm just out here on like, I'm, I'm just out here on like Jeffrey Dahmer mode. Excuse me? <laughs> <laughs> no, not really. That's like a joke. My friend Robin is, I guess like my friend Robin was working at a middle school and uh, one of the kids came into the office. It was like, 
the one of the people was like why asking like why the kid was late and the kid was like I'm like Jeffrey Dahmer I had to dump the blicky (laughs) (laughs) and Robin just like couldn't stop laughing he had to like look at the floor because it was so (laughs) such a cool thing to say (laughs) I had to dump the blicky why are you late committing crimes I'm like Jeffrey Dahmer (laughs) killing people (laughs) damn Kids are so cool. Kids are so cool. But I don't know. Should we cut it? I think we should cut it. All right. Cool. Yeah. Love you, Nick. Love you, Hank. Much love. Much love to all of our listeners as well.